0: Good evening, everybody. Welcome into the Villanova Basketball Report. It is live here on Bob Long Sports, and you can find us on video on the YouTube channel, Facebook channel, Twitter, or you can find us on audio at Apple Podcasts and on SoundCloud. Ready to bring in our crew here today, Bob Long alongside me, Kevin Long and Tom Trainer. k not with us here tonight, but he's promised us some grade A trivia questions to come next week. Gentlemen, this is the official return, at least for us, for Villanova basketball post-shutdown and post-pause due to COVID. Two wins later, Villanova is all alone and three up in the loss column on the rest of the Big East.
1: Yeah, first and foremost, just exciting to see some basketball back. Excited to see them in action and, and really didn't have a whole lot of expectations for them. Talent level is there, but you just don't know with not practicing for a couple of weeks and you don't know where their legs are at late in the game. Um, you know, was really encouraged the way they played this week, but first and foremost, just excited to see them back in action. Excited to see everyone's healthy and doing well.
2: The Lord said, let there be light and let there be Villanova basketball and light at Villanova basketball games. Um, it was a lot of fun as Kev said to see Villanova basketball again. Um, great to win two Big East Conference games. Seton Hall, always a tough matchup. Providence, Ed Cooley's team, always prepared um, to play hard, especially against Villanova. They seem to always give us fits. Um, So really encouraging to come off of a long hiatus and come away with two victories and just couldn't be more excited to have Villanova basketball back.
0: And that Villanova basketball being back, the two wins last week, and previewing a weekend upcoming is tonight's opening tip. All right, so let's talk about the first two games back. You mentioned Providence this past weekend, the game before that, Seton Hall. Well, you know, two opportunities to get back off the schneid and, and go play some basketball. Seton Hall, a very talented team under Kevin Willard and Sandru Mabu Kelashvili, maybe the player of the year in the Big East. He's absolutely unbelievable and quite a test to come back to. Villanova played very well in that game. Uh, you know, certainly they were... Instances where you thought maybe the the drag of being off for 27 days did show, but generally speaking, thought the team played very well. Uh, you know, didn't shoot it as good as they could. Jermaine Samuels was a guy that jumped off the page at you with 20 points in a game where you saw Caleb Daniels, who had been banged up during the COVID pause, as well as Jeremiah Robinson Earl, who you know we don't know who had the the, the virus per se, but a couple of guys looked more sluggish than the others and. I was thrilled to see Jermaine Samuels play so well. He might be playing the best basketball of his Villanova career thus far.
1: Yeah, that was a big spot for him to come through. And we weren't sure coming into that game, him not being in the starting lineup, if that was you know, something related to the break or if that's something related to Jay reevaluating the starting lineup. But clearly Jermaine came out with a purpose in that game and, and shot the ball really well. I was just really encouraged by the way that he – didn't force anything up. He, you know, took a lot of open threes. He, he took the right opportunities to drive to the lane. uh, And it's just a really great effort by him and and Colin Gillespie really shot the ball. Well, I was, I was encouraged by the way, this team shot the ball in that Seton Hall game was not expecting that after not being able to practice uh, for a certain amount of time. And, you know, maybe guys are getting in the gym on their own and, and getting shots up on their own. And, and that's able to keep them fresh. But it, it looks like they did what they needed to do to, to keep themselves fresh. And like you said, Mahmoud Kalashvili, he is uh, a matchup nightmare. He was impossible to guard all night. I mean, you got this guy, he's, he's enormous. I'm not sure his exact size. I would say 6'9", 6'10", probably, about 250, 260. And, you know, there's just not many guys out there that can guard him. You know, unfortunately, we do not have Sadiq Bay this year, who would have been the perfect guy to guard him. So he, he was a matchup nightmare, and he kept that thing close every step of the way, even though Seton Hall did not have their best performance defensively. Um, and, and I think it's going to be a problem in the upcoming week as well. We need to figure out a better strategy for uh, the next time we play Seton Hall next week. What would you see out there, Tom? Yeah,
2: how about Jermaine Mann? Love it. We've been saying since early December that we would like to see him take a little bit more of a backseat role and fit in as a piece um, and time his offensive opportunities rather than forcing the ball or dribbling into nowhere or um, looking overly predetermined um, as he seems um, to look far too often. Um, And this was a game finally. He wasn't. Well, he wasn't in the starting lineup. Um, came off the bench and did exactly that. He found his opportunities. Seton Hall was giving him opportunities. And, man, did he look confident shooting the jumper. Those three-point shots looked confident. They looked as smooth as I have ever seen Jermaine Samuels, if, if smooth is even an adjective to use with his jump shot. Smooth as I've ever seen. He looked good. Um, and then Mamu is just a baller. I think that JRE needs to send him a thank-you note Cause I think he learned quite a few lessons in how he needs to do a better job guarding the post. If he is going to be a lottery pick in the NBA draft, right? Bonafide lottery pick, I should say, because he most likely will be. Um, but man, Mamu took JRE uh, to school several times. So I think a lot of tips for JRE to work on um, needs to send Mamu a thank you note. And as Kevin said, he and the team need to make some adjustments before facing Seton Hall this weekend.
0: Yeah, sure. A thank you note, maybe, if he's able to correct those mistakes. Otherwise, Sandro just put it on film for all the scouts to see. So two ways that could go. But listen, the other thing is, defensively as a whole, Villanova, it did feel at times that Villanova needed to find a way to score just about every possession. It was back and forth, and you know the defensive struggles uh, made that game very much in doubt down the stretch. But they came up with the win there, then the return home for, for Providence – on Saturday, it was one of the most languid first halves that I've ever seen. About as poorly as Villanova could play offensively, and even the good looks that they did get, a lot of them just wouldn't fall. And then a ray of sunshine, if you will, brought everybody back to it, and And they scored 40-plus points in the second half. Played well uh, after about a 20-minute break. Would hate to be a UCLA fan whose game was delayed on, uh, on Fox because of a light delay that $65 million couldn't fix in a pavilion renovation. But nonetheless, a nice win against Providence. What you needed to do, you keep the ship rolling into what is going to be a very tough week upcoming. Two games, three days, Seton Hall on the 30th, and then UConn this coming Thursday.
1: Yeah, another really well-coached team in Providence. And, and they played a really nice defensive game. Uh, I think that some credit needs to be given their way for the, the poor shooting performance on Villanova's uh, first half. And uh, they, they played a really great game overall. And, and their star, David Duke, really took them out of that game. I think he forced up a lot of shots, just you know trying to do more than, than he honestly could. And more than his team needed him, and and I think if he had played a, a normal game and uh, stayed within himself, we would have been in a much tighter battle down the stretch. But but he really took his guys out of it, and and to our guys' credit, they they came out with a different attitude in the second half. They shot the ball a lot better, and they got themselves right back in that game quickly and, and took charge, uh, you know, halfway through the second half. Certainly a shaky start, but
2: despite the shaky start, um, do in part, I mean, give credit to Alan Reed, freshman from Providence, who's turning into um, a very good Big East um, basketball player um, to be reckoned with. Um, I think despite the sluggish start, it was we saw a lot of positive signs, in particular Villanova's strength coming through, their strength that they've had all season, which is their ability to take care of the basketball, while forcing their opponent um, into tough situations and turnovers. I mean, Providence turned the ball over 19 times. Villanova, who's only averaging eight turnovers a game, turns the ball over nine times. Um, and it's all led by Colin Gillespie. He is the rock of this basketball team. He's averaging um, just over 15 points, almost 16 points a game. Um, he had 15 points in the contest this weekend, six assists this weekend. He's averaging four assists in just one turnover a game. Um, and so when he's clicking and he's taking care of the basketball, uh, the, the team seems to feed off that. And from your senior leader, what else could you ask for? And that really has been the key. I mean, if Villanova can take care of the basketball, if they can win the turnover um, margin, not saying they're as reliant on turnovers as the Tampa Bay Buccaneers seem to be, but uh, if they can win the turnover margin, that seems to be a key to Villanova basketball moving forward.
0: Well, sure. And the tale of two halves, we talk about correlation and causation here on this show. You mentioned the nine turnovers from Villanova, some simple math. They turned it over eight times in the first half. That's one turnover in the second half. And that's a big reason they struggled to score 30 in the first and scored 40 in the second. Same defensive intensity in the second pushes Providence to that high turnover total. Exactly like you said there, Tom. But again, I don't know if that's going to be a game that's going to be, uh, you know, hung in the Louvre, any images there. But nonetheless, you get a win. You're undefeated in the Big East. And right now, it's only going to show a half game lead for Villanova in the Big East uh, in the Big East standings. But three up in the loss column over anybody else, including a top 15 team in Creighton, that's saying a lot. And it, it does feel as if You know, this is the conference. The the conference is this team's to win or lose at this point. The two games this week are going to be a big part of it. Let's talk about it. UConn, they get into the top 25. They're back in the Big East. The Huskies are back. Danny Hurley running the program, doing a great job, and they have the mojo going. All of a sudden, two losses hit them hard. Creighton certainly a tough loss. St. John's just can't happen. Huskies are going to be coming for blood here this coming Thursday. It's a huge game for them, not looking for a three-game skid. This should be a great matchup on Thursday.
1: Yeah, I agree. It's going to be a great matchup featuring a lot of really good guard play. Uh, that's What UConn specializes in, and that's what Villanova specialized in for a really long time. You're going to see uh, a lot of three-pointers. Uh, UConn shooting the ball uh, at a 35% clip from three right now uh villanova as we have seen over the years continually shooting the ball from three well and and even in that providence game continuing to shoot despite struggles jay we know preachers just keep at it they'll they'll eventually fall so i expect a, a fairly high scoring game at this one and and a lot of good shooting and, and a close one at the end uh, even though uconn is stumbling a little bit here
2: um i have a clarifying question fact check is book night back for this game He's out, had an elbow surgery.
0: Yeah, I don't know that he's going to be back for this one, but he's been right. very, very good for that team, and that's a big loss.
2: Yeah, and I mean, that's really the story. You said it. I mean, um, two straight losses, one of those St. John's, which, you know, typically you'd say can't happen, yet at the same time, um, this UConn Huskies team had crept into top 25, as you said, Bob, and then they have a couple games postponed. Book Knight has elbow surgery. Um, so. Not saying a loss to St. John's is excusable, but those two losses are maybe a little bit more understandable in that light. Um and who knows? This weekend it's I mean, first of all, it's Villanova's first game against Yukon in the Big East, since UConn's return to the Big East this season. Um so both teams will be coming to play. Yukon UConn will show up and maybe they'll have had some time to, to figure things out. Uh, you know, another full week of practice, another game under their belt. Um and, and so maybe a little bit more time and maybe this won't be the same UConn team that we saw um, lose to St. John's lose pretty handily uh, to, to Creighton um, and, and also question marks. So, so just wanted to point out, you know, who knows, maybe this UConn team is that top 25 team we saw. Maybe they've just run into a bit of an unfortunate bump, but either way, it's going to be an entertaining uh, game and excited to have UConn back in Big basketball.
0: Yeah, and one thing you're going to see with UConn is size inside as well. Kevin talked about their ability to shoot the three, and that goes beyond Booknight. He's not going to play. But that you know the the guard trio as a whole there is going to be tough. Also some big-time size inside. And and, and Jeremiah Robinson Earl, for as good as he is, he's not seven foot tall. And so, uh, you know, a little bit of a lack of coordination, I think, amongst the big there at UConn. But but still something that Villanova is going to need to rebound the ball, secure it on the offensive and defensive end. And, uh, and be put in a position where they can control the game in that way. I do like the Cats to win it, but again, UConn desperate for a win, trying to find out their new identity without their best player, and we'll see what happens as Villanova travels to the stores. Then on Saturday, another road game as Seton Hall hosts Villanova for the second time in as many weeks. Traditionally a very difficult place to play, at the Rock in northern New Jersey, and, well, you know, they're, they're not going to enjoy losing on the last second foul call. Uh, Cole Swider goes to the line. Folks didn't like it on the Twitter machine. I get it. But it's either a foul or a travel, which would have given Seton Hall the ball with 0.9 left. So, uh, nonetheless, the call goes the way it does. Villanova wins the game. And, uh, and we take a look forward to The Rock on Saturday.
1: Yeah, I think that's going to be another great game. I expect more of the same. I don't think that Villanova looked necessarily slowed down by their their delay and, and absence from from playing. And you know, except for maybe Caleb Daniels, who did not look like himself, didn't get his normal minutes. Uh, I see another very offensive battle, like we talked about earlier. Jeremiah Robinson are is going to have to find a way to cover. Mahmu Kalashvili or, or he'll have similar result as he did uh, the other or last week and it's gonna be a, another great battle, another test now this one away from home, although it doesn't mean nearly as much as it did in years past. but uh, I think it'll be a different, uh, a difficult game for this team. I wouldn't expect that because we have three games now under our belt and we're feeling a little bit better about ourselves. We're just going to steamroll this team. It's, they're going to come ready to play, and they're going to be hungry after that one. I mean, you could see Mamu Kalashvili was upset that he did not catch that ball. He thought he should have and been able to turn around and put that ball in. You know that these guys are, are hungry for this win after that loss.
0: Two things there. One, yeah, you mentioned not slowing down. The only thing slowing down just slightly, you're fine now, was the Mar- Mount Laurel internet connection, but uh, all good now. <laughs> Secondarily, Mamu Kalashvili. Yes, that was, listen, I know you want to win the basketball game, of course, and very intense. Was that a bizarre reaction, length of reaction, uh, totality of reaction to you guys I, at all? It was, it just felt odd to me.
1: It, it's an odd reaction, but I think it was an odd scenario too. It looked like he was expecting a tip and was going to try to catch it off the tip and it didn't nobody touched it and it went right through his hands and he's feeling like I easily should have had that ball. That would have been a win or I forget if it would have been a tie at that point, but regardless of the situation, yeah, yeah, win. So he's feeling like I cannot believe that I just cost us a chance to beat the number three team in the nation at their house because I just dropped a perfect pass. Like that was right in my lap. I, I understand that, that feeling. And that's, that's tough to get rid of. And,
0: and, you know, totally. I'm with you, now, I'm with you. with you a hundred percent.
1: I'm with you a hundred
0: percent on all of that. And, and it was just, it was some odd mannerisms. I, I don't know. It was like hitting himself in the I face. I like the reaction, and- Bob. I, I mean, I like you know, being fired it, up. It was just an odd man. Maybe I'm on a alone on a block I thought, on this. It was just weird. Um, I,
2: I thought it was a great reaction. I thought it was perfectly appropriate. Um, I thought I thought it was also a nice reminder that at the end of the day, these are kids. I mean, these are 19, 20, 21 year old kids. Um, and I thought his reaction was a uh, was I don't know. Hate hate to call it a seen hall player endearing, but I, I thought it was appropriate. <laughs> thought it was an appropriate uh reaction and again reminded i think it was a good reminder you know these are kids and human beings out there playing basketball absolutely we put we we put a ton of pressure on them and high expectations on them but but they're just kids
0: they're kids and he was really intense and i love that There was just something a little bit off about it but nonetheless (laughs) nonetheless uh yeah i think it's gonna be i mean i think he's gonna come out with a vengeance he certainly had a great first game and again i think he's probably the best player in the conference right now. I, I cannot think higher of his game, and I think he's an NBA player for sure. Thorn on the side of every Big East team he plays. He is incredibly skilled, and I'm, talented, I'm gonna and go technical. Ahead, I'm going to
2: go ahead and say I think this might be the most exciting game of the year, this game against Seton Hall this weekend. And I say that because this week for Seton Hall, looking big picture – is their week of the season. They have Creighton tomorrow night. And then they play Villanova this weekend. They're sitting at nine and six somehow, you know, because of the the cannibalism that we see in the big East, they're in third place in the big East, but they're sitting nine and six. So if you're thinking tournament for Seton Hall, this is a big, not necessarily break weekend for you, but a make weekend for you, a week for you. So, so Seton Hall, I mean, we have to see how their game goes against Creighton tomorrow. Um, but, but this is a big weekend for them. They're going to be fired up. They just lost a close contest to us on, on in their minds, maybe a controversial ending. Um, and so I, I won't be surprised if we look back at this and say, well, first of all, I think it's going to be a fun ride, but look back at this game and say, wow, that this, this was maybe the game of the year, at least in the conference schedule. And I, I, I can't wait for it.
0: Yeah, the game it'll have to top. Villanova-Seton Hall round one. We'll see if it gets there. Should be a lot of fun. Next up here on the Villanova basketball report, we're going to go to Visa nose, take you to the whiteboard, and we're going to break you down how Villanova reacts offensively when somebody runs the Wildcats off the three point line. It's an important distinction because for all the great Villanova teams that have been, you know, three point shooting has been a premium for this team and a, and a key skill set. So we're going to go to the whiteboard and say, hey, how does Villanova not only uh, try to enhance but really embrace the offensive sets when they are run off the three point line by the opposing defense? Stay with us. This is V's and O's here on the Villanova Basketball Report. We take you to the whiteboard and break down one aspect of Villanova basketball. Tonight, we're going to talk about Villanova's game against Providence and specifically how they handled the Friars' defensive scheme. Providence made a note earlier in this game. They were going to run Villanova off the three-point line. They were going to make Villanova beat them somewhere other than beyond the perimeter. So on a catch-out here, let's say let's say it's Justin Moore here on the left wing, and he's going to catch uh, in a position here where he begins to penetrate to the basket. A double team defense would be taking a help defender here, bringing this help defender up here to prevent that drive. But what would that do? Let's say it is this defender on the outside here that comes to double team and prevent Justin Moore from driving into the lane. Well, now here's Colin Gillespie to slip out here. This is going to be open and Colin Gillespie's going to get able to keep going to be able to take a, an uncontested 3. Providence decided not to do that. They said, "Nope, we're going to continue to guard Out on the perimeter, we're going to run Villanova off the three-point line. So what that means is as Justin Moore has an opportunity to drive to the basket, well, this defender is is going to have to stay with him. So he's going to have to follow Justin Moore in here and guard one-on-one because, hey, you don't want to leave Cole Swider out here if you're this defender. You don't want to leave Colin Gillespie out here. You don't want to leave Caleb Daniels out here. And uh, the four-out one in uh, offense that Villanova likes to play here is Jeremiah Robinson. So what does that create? It creates a lot of driving lanes, and now an opportunity for Justin Moore to go against a uh, a smaller defender, a guard defender right about here. And Justin Moore, as is Colin Gillespie, such a good back-to-the-basket player that he's now going to run the offense out of the low block with his back to the basket. And If a double doesn't come here across the wing, which again now will open up Jeremiah Robinson Earl, or if this defender crashes on Earl, now a skip pass over here. If those defenders don't crash, it's going to be the skill of Justin Moore or Colin Gillespie, whoever's driving to the basket, against that defender. And what Villanova showed its propensity to do is to get those... Guards in those back to the basket situations against defenders not used to guarding against these types of guards, and, and Villanova to be very successful inside the three point line. They only shot 28% from beyond the arc against Providence, but did throw up 71 points, including 40 plus in the second half, as a result of their ability to handle these mismatches and, and take what Providence was giving Villanova defensively throughout that game. Villanova also took two or three less threes per game than than they do on average over the course of the year. So 25 threes on the game sure seems like a lot, but it was what created those. It was good looks. It was the fact that uh, once Justin Moore did get in here and really started to decimate, Colin Gillespie started to decimate inside the three-point line. This Providence defense, all of a sudden, Providence did need to start committing defenders, and that opens up guys on the outside. So Villanova, we talked about this a little bit a couple of weeks ago on Visa Knows how the big guys, Jeremiah Robinson or even Jermaine Samuels to some respect, they're more face-up, rise in your face, facing the basket or, or getting to the basket off the bounce, type of uh, type of bigs, and that's how they run the offense. And then it's the guards that when they get inside the three-point line, they're going with their backs to the basket. We talked about how that's counterintuitive. Here it is in action against the Providence defense that, again, we're going to talk about this term a lot. Teams are going to want to run Villanova off the three-point line, not get beat from deep. And Providence did just that. Villanova's ability – to understand that that's going to be the game plan against them and effectively neutralize it by getting to the basket with strong, and very capable guards that can score from anywhere on the floor is how Villanova basketball is going to be successful. It's how they shook off a little bit of rust in the first half, second game back after a 27-day break, in order to put up 40-plus in the second half, do so in an efficient manner, and really start to wear down a Providence team that has been very good defensively this year. So keep an eye on that this week and the rest of the year. Villanova is going to play UConn on Thursday, and then uh, Seton Hall, they'll travel to Seton Hall over the weekend. Both of these teams have strong and talented guards. UConn's going to be a little bit short-handed at the guard position. Let's see if they will double on the drive or if they're going to continue to run Villanova off the three-point line. Let's see how Villanova adjusts. Next up here on the Villanova Basketball Report, Kevin Long takes us through. This week's Cat in the Wild.
1: All right. Thanks, Bob. Appreciate that intro. Uh, this week's Cat in the Wild is going to be Jalen Brunson. So I knew end, it. His, yes. His first, <laughs> his first action of the season, uh, getting it into five games over the past week, play, playing 30 minutes a game, getting 13 points a game, 3.6 assists, looking really good. Really encouraging sign from him. Not really sure where everything was going for him at the end of last year. He gets hurt. He was maybe losing a little bit of time. Luka Doncic is a bona fide star. They add Josh Richardson for some guard depth on that team. And and here's Jalen Brunson kind of sitting out on his own. And he's really uh, come back ready to play after his injury. It looks like the Mavericks trust him a lot given him 30 minutes a game, and uh, just really good to see that they they believe in him and, and he's responded and he's doing well over his first week playing back in the NBA. So Jalen Brunson is our cat in the wild this week.
0: Good choice. Tom, you liked that choice, huh?
1: Had to be. Who
2: else? I mean, what an impressive return to him um, right into the starting lineup for Dallas. Um, It's just great to see because we all know as Villanova fans how hard he works, the competitor he is, Um, and it's been a rough past year for him, battling injuries, various ups and downs. Um, So it's just great to see. Um, I don't – you know, maybe not a breakthrough, but um, certainly a great few weeks for Jalen. Great to see.
0: Yeah. Well, listen, I mean, let's bring it back to his time at Villanova because it's it's really important to realize just – how good he was at Villanova. They've been really good since about 2014. And that's seven or so years of excellence, two national championships and so many good players, so many NBA players. Let's call it what it is. For me, he's a top three Villanova basketball player of all time. Two national championships. A Naismith National Player of the Year. The only guys that I can really think about to put into his category, and this is open for discussion here, Howard Porter and Paul Arizon. I think Jalen Brunson's right there, the top three in Villanova basketball history. Yeah, I think Josh Hart is right there as well. Uh, Randy Foy, I think has his own unique place in Villanova history. Of course, Kerry Kittles, who still has the all-time scoring record. But for me, it's Howard Porter, Paul Arizon, Jalen Brunson. When you talk about highly decorated Villanova Wildcats.
1: Yeah, I think another guy you put in that conversation is Scotty Reynolds. He never made a, a big mark in the NBA, if if any, I believe. And uh, but he he really had a great career, capped it off for of the Final Four run in uh, that big win over Pitt but you're right absolutely Jalen Brunson he, he's he got the two national titles he was a major contributor as a freshman on that 2016 team he was not just along for the ride he's absolutely up there in the, in the top three of, of Villanova basketball players all time but still fourth drafted out of Villanova in that year which is unbelievable to believe.
2: Yeah I think when you look at Best Villanova career. Like, best Villanova basketball player. Obviously, it remains to be seen what type of NBA career Brunson has. But I think two national championships, national player of the year, graduated in three years. I, I'd put my money down and say Jalen Brunson is the best Villanova basketball player of all time. Paul mm-hmm. Arizin, obviously, one of the greatest 50 NBA players of all time. Um, you know, Sky Rounds had a great career. Kerry Kittles had great careers, but um, didn't win national championships. Didn't ha- you know win national player of the year honors? I mean, I I don't I don't know. Okay, I'm not gonna say it's not close, but I I think it's in hands down clear choice. Jalen Brunson, just in terms of the I think Ar- that I think Harrison was career.
0: national player of the year. Um, I well, think let's we are- fact check it. I-, I believe you. Let's fact check it. Let's fact check that. And while you say that, Howard Porter, whether or not he was, uh, he was the guy that UCLA, Bill Walton, and John Wooden had to go four corners against so that uh, in a shot clockless environment, Villanova wouldn't upend them and disturb that longtime winning streak prior to Digger Phelps and Notre Dame doing so years later. But Howard Porter was also the best player in college basketball and probably in a more dominating way than Jalen Brunson was. So I think those three for me. All right, Bob, we have, top, the fact, we
2: have the fact check returns early. All right, let's hear and it. You are correct. Here we go. Uh, he was the NCAA season scoring leader in 1950, consensus first team All-American, and Sporting News and Helms Foundation National Player of the Year.
0: See, the Helms Foundation. I mean, I think we all know who's awarded that every year. Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. So that's my three. I'm sticking to it. I'm glad you guys are on the block rather than saying, Bob, you're a nut job. So that's good. That's good. It's great to – it's honestly, it's really good to just take a step back and, and think about, although this run has been really special over the last seven years, certain guys stand out above the rest, and Jalen is one of them. So, Kevin, a wonderful job on Cat in the Wild. Uh, we may have dipped our toe into the waters of the next segment, which is – our trivia question, some Nova trivia, K-Mac, nowhere to be found, stepping in his place, an audible Tom Trainer.
2: I'm going to do my best, and my best is exactly one question, but I think it's a great question. Uh, so we have the whole Nova's first Big East regular season game against the UConn since the dawn of the new Big East, and UConn's return this week. So, in honor of that, the question is this. How many Big East regular season titles, shares or Mm. solo titles, did UConn win in the old Big East? Did UConn win in the old Big East? So, how many Big East regular season championship titles does UConn men's basketball have?
1: Mm. No idea. Pulling one out of the left field here.
0: All right. One, two, three. Wow. Five, five, and six. Okay. And uh,
2: none of us were close. Nobody was close. Uh, so my count, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10, double mm. your number. Wow. That's how dominant. That's a lot. That UConn was. I mean, so obviously the nineties through the early thousands. Yeah. We'll just forget how, um you know I came up with that question because I was just curious you know I mean we think of when we think of the old Big East UConn is and Jim Calhoun one of the mm-hmm. programs that immediately come to mind so just curious you know how dominant was UConn in the old Big East and the answer is very
0: wow that's a good one okay so we all we all are going to stay where we were after last week yikes it's
1: pretty whale. surprising considering how competitive the Big East was yeah. I mean not that it's not that it's a bad conference now, but you think about some of those great teams, Pitt, Syracuse, UConn, all playing really well. Villanova and the years when when Louisville came mm-hmm. in and even Cincinnati. I mean, so many good teams to, to win it that many times in, in a short amount of time. Just truly Georgetown. Impressive like I mean, Georgetown was very yeah. good.
0: For for a period of time there too, until Steph Curry pretty much broke the team and broke JT three.
1: Yeah, even St. John's, even St. John's. I mean, wasn't great in the early two thousands, but prior to that, a very very good team.
0: Yeah, great great question there, Tom. Very nice. KMac is he's got to start looking over his back there.
2: Hey, quality over quantity.
0: Bingo. Quality over quantity. One okay. question. Sometimes that's all you need. That's right. Although when you
1: have eight minutes notice.
0: Yes. Here's a quantity for you. 10 Big East regular season titles. My goodness. I mean, not even an original member left, you know, left to the AAC when all the the, uh, reconstruction was happening. Wow. That's impressive. It's a big number. So with that said, boys, one more segment to go. Time for the shoot around. So this is our segment
2: where shout out, uh, shoot out, if you will, shout out um, anything and everything related to basketball, sometimes college football, sometimes pro football and anything else really that comes to the top of our minds. Um, I will kick us off by shouting out um, just the entire Villanova medical and personal training staff that's had to go through not just one basketball team and the men's basketball team, but two in the women's basketball teams, um, extended quarantine periods over these past few weeks. So just shout out, um, to Jeff Duncan, Dr. Duncan, um, and uh, all of the medical staff, training staff, everybody at the Villanova Inn who was hosting, um, the, the players over the past few weeks during their quarantine, um, the the parents who I heard some fun things about parents sending games and puzzles and other activities for the athletes to keep themselves um, occupied and entertained and not go stir crazy. So just shout out I mean to the entire Villanova I guess basketball men's and women's communities for getting our student athletes through a difficult few weeks.
0: You know I love the puzzle
1: call there.
0: A puzzle is a good way to keep your mind sharp. That's that's big time.
1: All right. And uh, surprisingly here, I'm actually going to keep my shout out with the Villanova staff, uh, different people on the, on the Villanova staff. It's whoever had to go put up a curtain over that window uh, during halftime of the uh, Providence game. I don't know who that would be. I don't know if that's a manager. It's like, Hey, you got to go find a ladder and a curtain and put something up there or, you have a building superintendent on site during the game. I don't know whose responsibility that is, but shout out whoever put up that curtain and, and let the game continue on. Uh, as Bob said before, it's, it's pretty surprising that something like that would come up after a $65 million renovation a few years ago. But uh, it sounds like by all reports, they have now tinted the windows and will av- avoid all future issues in regards to that window. So Shout out to whoever had to take on that responsibility
0: Yes, extra points for sure to the person who hung the uh, who hung the shade. it's a zero sum game though, so we're taking points away from the uh, the architects and the folks who did spend all that money time and renovation and and didn't get that one right so zero sum game, negative points one way, positive points the other. All right, my shout out today well it's it's not really a shout out it's more of a discussion around a very important factor occurring in sports media right now. The big news this week, NBC Sports Network will likely be taken off the air by the end of this year. Well what does that affect? Well that's going to affect college basketball at times on NBC but more more prominently the NHL who is going into the last year of its major contract with NBC Sports way back in the time when ESPN Uh, didn't bid enough, and and the NHL decided to go another route. So the NHL is going to have to figure something out. NASCAR is going to have to figure something out. Here's where it becomes an issue for college basketball, potentially even the Big East. The Big East has a contract with Fox Sports. It was a 12-year deal signed in August of 2013. It was a match made in heaven. Fox Sports 1 was a brand-new network, and the Big East was essentially a brand-new conference with everything – New, except for the name, and where they're going to have the men's basketball tournament every year. So it was a great deal for the Big East. It was a good deal for Fox. Folks thought that maybe Fox overpaid. Two national championships later, and in addition of UConn, maybe they think that Fox Sports underpaid. But by 2024-2025, I want you to think about what may or may not happen over the next two years. We're in the middle of a viral recession. Do not know when it's going to end. You're seeing media companies lay off people all over the place. And what you would think was previously a very strong NBC sports network, which is essentially a partner to NBC 10, which will remain in in all markets. Now, who knows, right? Is Fox sports one next to go? That's one way to look at it. Two, what does the NHL do? Does it go back to ESPN? Would Fox take a run at that? Do they start? Sunsetting or throttling some of the college basketball content that they currently have? Do some of the Big 12 or Big East games move to Fox Sports 2 if Fox were to bid on the NHL? And again, what happens if another domino falls? Fox Sports shuts down Fox Sports 2, for example. That all takes money, personnel, content, and money to pay for that content. So don't be surprised to see a major conference or maybe a fringe power conference in the near future ink a deal to go the amazon route the streaming route the hulu route because at some point the landscape of television as we currently know it is going to change dramatically and this is a key building block maybe a domino falling in that equation
2: i mean that's hey hulu has live sports right i mean that is where just cable or I should just say um, media content is headed, right? I mean, more and more millennials like ourselves are not buying cable packages, are still are instead buying streaming services and picking and paying for which content they want. Um, additionally, and not to go down another rabbit hole, I'm curious to see what the next move post-streaming, I think we're headed in a streaming direction, we've been heading in a streaming direction, um, for the past 10 years now. But I'm curious what happens with the next generation of kids who have grown up on YouTube, who have grown up on TikTok, who get their sports through a 10-minute condensed highlight video on YouTube. You know, where, where are we heading then? Um, so so a lot of pieces fall, falling, a lot of dominoes, as you said, Bob. You know, don't want to get too far into the future. But, uh, but that's just what I'm seeing. I think, no doubt, this is where um, consumption of media is going in sports outside of sports just in general
0: yeah and the other questions that i have are so uh nbc sports the content that will remain long term will move to peacock which is a pay-per-view system uh similar to espn plus which is about a five dollar a month and and you get a lot of different basketball games a lot of times produced by the schools themselves that are putting them on but again like What's that worth? What's that worth to the Big East versus a cable broadcast on Fox Sports One? Um, What happens to the NHL? Right. Like, would they go to Peacock or do they need to arrange something with something that's on cable television? And how will that affect broadcast rights, both the prices and the negotiations going forward? It's supremely interesting to me.
1: Yeah, and it seems like everything has gone in terms of shows and movies to these streaming services, where you know nobody goes to their their local TV channels to see what movies are on anymore. You just you look through Netflix, you look through Hulu, you look through HBO, and live sports has not made that jump yet. There there hasn't been any sort of change to the way that it's viewed for the most part, right? You need a a cable package or a streaming service that's like a cable package to watch those live sports. So could very well in the near future seeing everything becoming so specialized where you have to subscribe to a peacock or an ESPN plus And all of these leagues, all professional leagues, have their own streaming services for every out of market game. You think about, you know, NHL.tv, mlb.tv, they all have those types of services. So it could be uh, become a time where live sports are not on your YouTube TVs, you know, your, your Hulu, you know, whatever their live cable package is, it may just all be, you know, by your college basketball package or by your, your big East package from ESPN plus or, or whatever it may be. So I think you're absolutely right. There's, there's a day of reckoning coming and it, it's going to look different in the near future here.
0: Yep. Remember also Fox asked out of the golf contract. They, they signed a huge golf contract to broadcast with the USGA. That is to broadcast the USM us women's open us open. They asked out of that contract. It was a loss leader for them. They lost money in the recession. Didn't see this coming with the coronavirus and asked out of it. Uh, What new era field in Buffalo asked out. Of the contract, so I, I think there's two things at play, which is the move to digital. Which again, I I don't know if it's necessarily a next year thing because there's still a lot of people that like to go onto the clicker and go onto their Comcast or whatever it might be. Uh, but combination of that seismic shift over time, and where costs are, what the cost structure is, what the value of advertising is on television versus print versus just digital, cheaper marketing avenues for companies that essentially pay the bills, right? So a company comes in and advertises the network knows that they can allocate that much money minus their operating expenses and, uh, and where supplied meets demand there and, and where expenses meets profit, that's that meets revenue. That is, that's what they can bid for these packages. And right now it's still going up, but at some point there's a plateau. At some point, maybe it goes down or conversely, these streaming services become so popular that you have more networks, a larger scope, all negotiating for the same product. And that could drive prices up. We just don't know enough at this point to see what comes next, but I can't wait to see what happens because sometimes that's just as interesting as the sports themselves. So there you go. That is our, uh, our shout out here tonight. Shoot around anything else for you guys before we go. go
1: cats. Oh, good to go yeah looking <laughs> forward to uconn's return to uh villanova here
0: kevin long very business like nope good to go over here all right boys well hey i appreciate it this is a great show we'll welcome Mac back next week and uh until we return enjoy the basketball so.